Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. In Surah Al-Hujurat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna Allah ya'lamu ghayb as-samawati wal-ard, wallahu basirun bima ta'amalun. That surely Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows the unseen of the heavens and the earth, and Allah is all-seeing of what you do. Al-ghayb, or the unseen, refers to knowledge that is only known to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, such as knowledge about the angels, the jinn, heaven and hell, and fate and predestination. Why do we struggle to connect with and be motivated by the unseen? Can we prove the existence of the unseen? How can connecting with the unseen world help us come closer to God? Seemingly complex questions in a world where we're consumed by the immediacy of what's in front of us. We scoped our network far and wide to find someone for today's episode, only to realize that a person really close to the show has devoted much of the last few years to explore the topics of the unseen, topics like angels, the judgment day, and the hereafter. Today, I was very fortunate to sit down with Dr. Omar Suleiman. Welcome to the season finale of season four of Double Take, a podcast by Yaqeen Institute about the questions and ideas around Islam and Muslims that give us pause. Remember to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Check out the links in the show notes to join our newsletter community and share feedback with the team. Dr. Omar Suleiman is the founder and president of the Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research and an adjunct professor of Islamic studies in the Graduate Liberal Studies program in Southern Methodist University. He is also resident scholar of the Valley Ranch Islamic Center. Enjoy the episode. Dr. Omar, assalamu alaikum and welcome back to Double Take. Wa alaikum assalam, rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It's good to be back. Uh, yes, actually you've, uh, you've joined the elite private club as a third timer on Double Take. MashaAllah. Are you going to send me a plaque that I can put next to our YouTube plaques here in the office or just? Usually, once you get to 10, once you get to 10 in China. <laughs> Who made that rule? <laughs> um, Sheikh, there's a story in the Quran that I often think about. It's in Surah Al-Baqarah and it's a story of Ibrahim alayhi salam, the great prophet, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِذْ قَالَ Ibrahim, رَبِّ أَرِنِي كَيْفَ تُحْيِي الْمَوْتَى where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and remember when Abraham said, my Lord, show me how you give life to the dead. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds, Qala, awalam tu'min. Do you not believe? And Ibrahim responds, Bala, walakin inna qalbi. That I do believe, but just so that my heart can be reassured. I find it amazing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us an example of how a great prophet of Allah had questions about the world of the unseen. So to start today's episode, I'd like to ask you, how would you define the unseen in our religion? How would you define this concept of al-ghayb? Barakallahu feek. So the first thing which I think is amazing about the story that you start with, with Ibrahim salam is that as Ibn Abbas said, we have a greater right uh, to ask than Ibrahim But at the same time, Ibrahim was not responding when he says, I, you know, I, I, I do believe. He wasn't saying that this is a condition of my belief, but that this would certainly increase my Iman over my Iman. I mean, this would give me an added level of Yaqeen, an added level of certainty in the belief, in the faith. The ghayb refers to everything that is unseen to the believer, yet the believer is commanded to believe in. And so to the Prophet wasallam, there is a ghayb that is different from our ghayb because the Prophet wasallam saw things that we did not see. But even the things that he saw, wasallam, there is another layer that he has not seen yet wasallam, or he had not seen on the night of Isra and Mi'raj. So the unseen is everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands us to believe in that is unseen to us, but we are committed to not just the belief in those things, but to acting in accordance with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us to do. And because we trust our Lord, 
because we trust the Messenger then we trust that everything that has been revealed to us of the unseen is just as true as things we have seen with our own eyes. And I think SubhanAllah, it's one of the beautiful things that I reflect on with Surah Al-Baqarah. Um, and it was a recent reflection, to be honest with you. Um, I was reflecting on the last two ayat of Surah Al-Baqarah. And the last two ayat of Surah Al-Baqarah were given to the Prophet ﷺ on the night of Al-Isra' al-Mi'raj. And the Prophet ﷺ saw things on that night that he had not seen before. You know, he just received all of these surahs about the prophets before him, and now he's leading them in salah, and now he's meeting them in the heavens. The Prophet ﷺ had received an entire body of ayat about heaven and hell, about uh, you know scenes from the hereafter, scenes from the grave, and now the Prophet ﷺ is seeing them after that decade of revelation of those ayat. And what you find in the end of Surah Al-Baqarah, آمَنَ الرَّسُولُ بِمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْهِ مِنْ رَبِّهِ وَالْمُؤْمِنُونَ كُلٌّ آمَنَ بِاللَّهِ وَمَلَائِكَتِهِ وَكُتُبِهِ وَرُسُلِهِ لَا نُفَرِّقُ بَيْنَ أَحَدٍ مِنْ رُسُلِهِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, the Prophet believes in what has been revealed to him and so do the believers. All of them believe in Allah, all of them believe in the angels, all of them believe in the books, all of them believe in the messengers. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying to us, you know, that your belief in these things is because you trust the one who sent this message to you and you trust the messenger that was used to deliver it to you. And so like the reaction of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq and this was just a recent reflection, subhanAllah, what was his response when he was told about Al-Isra' wal-Mi'raj? He said, in kana qalahu, if the Prophet said it, faqad sadaq, then he's told the truth. Meaning I trust the one who's saying he saw it, therefore, it's as if I saw it. I don't need to see anything more to believe in it. And Allah Azawajal is assigning that in these ayat as a characteristic for all of the believers. We believe in our Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and we believe our Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And what he saw that night, we trust in it fully because we trust him. So the credibility of the source is even greater than our vision. I trust what the Prophet Sallallahu says more than what I trust with what I see with my own two eyes, right? Because that's his character, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And so that's the certainty that Allah Azza wa Jal is calling us to in the Quran, that you trust the source. So it doesn't have to be that you see it, but you have to believe in what has been revealed to you through trustworthy sources. And there's no source more trustworthy. I would say in this day and age, it's, it's more difficult to have that level of certainty. Uh, of course, when you're around the Prophet Sallam, you're getting live wahi, um, you're hearing the stories firsthand. It is, I would say, uh, maybe really early it was difficult, but generally when, when Islam was growing, there's, uh, there's a sense of immediacy with regards to Islam and, and thereby the unseen. I would say it's, for my kids, living in a day and age where uh, they're, they need to see things to believe it. They're living in such an, they're living in kind of that immediate world where they're so consumed in the day to day, what's in front of them, second by second. It's, I would say, it's slightly more difficult um, to to believe in the unseen. Would you Would you agree with that? Well, not Not just slightly more difficult, much more difficult. Which is why the Prophet ﷺ said, "Tuba, glad tidings to the one who saw me and believed in me." And then he said, "Tuba, tuba." He increased the glad tidings to the one who believed in me without even seeing me. So believing, "Aladina amanu bi walam yarouni," to believe in the Prophet ﷺ without having seen him is a greater reward than having seen him and believed in him, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That particular element, of course, we're not greater than the generation that accompanied him, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. But the act of believing in him without seeing him, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, is a greater act because it is more difficult. So the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wondered uh, about these people that believe in him without seeing him and long for him and would give up everything of this world to be able to see him sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So it is more difficult to believe in him sallallahu alayhi wasallam without having accompanied him and having to decipher so much of this through the shama'al as we get it, through the characteristics as 
we receive them. But but I do want to say here that you know even then, uh, let's be very clear: the Quran welcomed intellectual inquiry. It welcomed it. In fact, it encouraged it. The amount of ayat in the Quran, afala ta'qirun, afala tatafakarun. Don't you think? Don't you inquire? Allah Subhanahu wa Taala calls upon us to use our brains, but Allah Azza wa Jal tells you that there is going to be a point to which your intellect will fail you because the dimensions that your intellect is exposed to and the capacity of your intellect are limited. So Allah is giving you enough within your dimension and within your intellectual capacity to convince you that this is indeed divine revelation. There are miracles, there are proofs of prophethood. You know, plugging in Sheikh Muhammad al-Shanawi's book, Proofs of Prophethood, which you can download from the Yaqeen website. There are dalal and nubu'ah, there are proofs of prophethood. There are miracles of the Qur'an in which you are called to use your intellectual inquiry to come to the conclusion of faith. Now, once you have faith that this comes from a trustworthy source, at that point, at that point, you submit yourself to that which you can't see because the source of what you can see and what you can't see is both one. Right, And so at that point, I'm convinced that it's Allah and His Messenger وسلم, but certainly the more removed I am from immediately experiencing it within my dimension, the more rewarded I am for clinging on to it. And so all of these narrations, the, the narration I mentioned where the Prophet said Tuba seven times uh, in one narration, you know, glad tidings seven times to the one who believed in me and did not see me, where the Prophet mentions to the companions in Amin Wara'ikum, uh, that there are days after you that require great patience and to be patient in those days is like holding on to a burning hot coal and the one who acts in those days is one who is rewarded the like of 50 of you right so the prophet Sallallahu recognizes that because there was a dimension uh, that you experienced the messenger Sallallahu in this life if you were blessed enough to be a sahabi and it came with its it came with its challenges. Uh, you know, subhanAllah, not to make this a lecture, but I think about, you know, Miqdad radiallahu anhu when he heard the man who uh, met him, he was a tabi'i, and he said, you know, Tulba, you know, glad tidings to these two eyes that get that got to lay themselves on the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Miqdad radiallahu anhu admonished him. He said, you don't know how difficult it was, right? The persecution, what we faced. So there was a great blessing to being able to lay our eyes on the Messenger and to experience that element of what is otherwise unseen to the Muslims from him directly But that came with great trial and great test. So don't sit there and just wish that I could have been there and then I would have been such a better Muslim. You don't know. You don't know. Allah put you in this time for a reason because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has customized the pathway for you back to him. So you don't know how it would have been, but certainly we wish we could have experienced laying our eyes on the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and we long for the experience of being able to do so eternally bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. Zakallah khair. Um, so just to turn a page on the definition, you you mentioned the unseen is anything that we can't see but that we're ordered, we are ordered to to believe in. Um, do, we, do we say that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala Himself is part of the unseen? Of course, we don't see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, kullun amana billah. We believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even though we don't see him. But we know his names and attributes, and we see his signs, and we see his miracles and his proofs, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we experience him through our dua. Zakallah khair. You mentioned that there will come a time, ayyam al-sabr, that it's difficult to, to hold on to faith, just as it's difficult to hold on to a burning coal. In this day and age, when having that faith is like holding on to a burning coal. How would you convince someone that there is this world of the unseen? Well, first I would ask them to suspend their desires in the sincere quest for truth. There's a connection that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes between a person being dominated by their desires and then being led to delusion. Like this is a connection throughout the Quran that you want certain things to be true, you want certain things to be false. And if a person is sincerely pursuing the truth, they have to be disciplined in that quest for truth. And so the first thing I say to someone is, are you sincere in your pursuit of truth? Or are you looking for a truth 
that suits your falsehood, you know, your pursuit of your desires. Because most people seek a religion for therapy. You know, they seek spirituality like the next yoga practice, the next meditation practice, but it's not a God that they can submit themselves to. It's a, it is necessarily a God that submits itself to them, right? And so they're looking for a religion that comforts them. They're looking for a way of life, you know, an understanding of the unseen that comforts them with the seen, that makes this seen world more bearable. But then you're never going to find the truth because the truth has consequences. And in order to find truth, you have to be disciplined. And so that's why I'm saying Allah Azawajal welcomes sincere intellectual inquiry. And in fact, the Quran is so confident in itself and the Prophet Sallallahu is so confident in his call that you cannot approach the Quran and the seerah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam objectively and sincerely without walking away knowing that this is the truth, right? So it, it welcomes sincere intellectual inquiry. So when I talk to someone, I say, listen, first and foremost, why are you pursuing deen? Why do you want to know Islam? Because there were people in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, they said our hearts are covered, like we, our hearts have been protected from this stuff. So if, if your vessel, you know, the revelation is like rain that's coming down from the sky. If your vessel is upside down, then it's just gonna keep hitting the bottom of the vessel, right? And it's just gonna keep bouncing off of it. It's not gonna absorb it because you chose to turn your vessel upside down. Right? They turned away, so Allah turned their hearts away. So I tell people, and I tell myself first and foremost, be sincere uh, in your intellectual inquiry. And for the Muslim, that looks a little bit different once you actually embrace Islam. Uh, for a person who's not Muslim yet, what that looks like is, look, spend, suspend your desires as much as possible and your biases and pursue the truth and read about the Quran, read the Quran, read about the Prophet ﷺ, read the words of the Prophet ﷺ, explore the proofs of Islam. Then once you embrace Islam, right, at that point, um, you still have to keep your heart sincere and pure enough to where your desires are not leading your decision-making to where you're always choosing the most convenient option to yourself. Because that's also a form of tiba' al-hawa, tiba' al-rukhas, right, is what the scholars refer to it as following the concession. So, I want something to be halal. Uh, so I go online and I Google until I find the website that tells me this is halal. And I don't care how shoddy the proof is, right? It says it's halal. And uh, the sheikh from this country I've never heard of and whose name I've never heard of, or it's some generic name like Sheikh Muhammad. So long, so long as his neck is on the line, right? <laughs> as long as I found something. So then like, that's why you'll say to that Muslim, like, hey, suspend your desires in this regard and look for what is true by following an established mechanism that protects you from letting your, your desires drive your decision-making here, right? So following an established scholar and an established uh, school of thought. So again, sincere inquiry is welcomed, but inquiry is inherently faulty if sincerity is missing. Well, let's say someone is sincere. Someone knocks on your door and says, look, I, I, I really, I, I heard your um, angel series. I'm very curious. I'm, I'm hearing about heaven and hell. I'm hearing about predestination and this whole world of the unseen. I'm sincere. And I'm trying to understand how I can maybe they're non-Muslim, but they just want to they want to cross that bridge of believing in this world of the unseen. Because what we describe as Muslims as the unseen is very, it's very graphic. It's the details are very, I mean, it's it specific uh, with regards to the unseen. So how do I cross that bridge? If I'm someone who's sincere, you're saying you need that sincere intention but then also sincere inquiry what does that inquiry look like do i need to enter islam in order to be exposed to this uh world of the unseen or is there another path or is there a path that that you could prove to me that all this exists well if you realize when the prophet was calling people to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he wasn't starting with the most distant elements he was starting with the most immediate elements and there's nothing that resonates more with the fitrah with a person's natural inclination than the idea of one god and then factoring that oneness of God into the coherence of the oneness of mission of prophets, right? And then you see the way that it all comes together so perfectly. Then you talk about the graphic details of heaven and hell. 
Like the Prophet was not starting with that uh, when he was talking to people because that was very distant from them. He was telling them about the existence of a hellfire, which in the general sense is a consequence for how you live your life here. And he was telling them about the existence of a paradise, which is a reward, because some people, again, were not held back because they had any doubt in the Prophet being a messenger of Allah as much as they were held back by the thought of having to now give up a bunch of things you know, that they found satisfying in this life. So the details then are of course gonna be shoddy until you get into it. And then those details become more crystallized. Now I should say then the idea of for each person at that point is through two methods. Number one, through increasing in, in the dala'il, in the study of dala'il, in the study of uh, the intellectual proofs of Islam. And number two, through experiencing the sweetness of Iman. So through furthering themselves in ibadat, and not necessarily in that order, by the way, these are two pathways once a person kind of gets into it. And so I give people this example, you know, I remember, um, you know, when when uh, prominent da'is, and I won't name names, but you know, they'll go to college campuses and it's like, I'm sure you have this dynamic in Australia too. Uh, it's, a, it's supposed to be a lecture for non-Muslims, but it ends up being attended by 95% Muslims. And so the, the da'i or the uh, shaykh is literally speaking about a fundamental topic in Islam, a foundational topic in Islam, but he's saying it in a way that's so convincing that it raises my iman. Like this gives me even more certainty, right? It's like I come away from this, even though I already knew this stuff, but I come away more convinced. My heart has been even further settled with Islam. It's not that I don't already know these things. I just... I believe them even more. So it's one form of nourishment, right? And then tadabbur, tafakkur, ibadah, tahajjud, right? These ideas of contemplation, reflection on the verses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and praying with them at night. That just nurtures it even more. It becomes experienced. The sweetness of iman becomes an experienced reality to where it becomes like Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu is talking about, you know, like, like I already believe in heaven and hell as if I could see them, you know? And that's what ihsan is. Uh, excellence. And I, I, this is a point that I actually hope doesn't, inshallah ta'ala, uh, go missed. Yaqeen, which is certainty, is a pursuit of certainty intellectually, spiritually, uh, emotionally, an entire pursuit of certainty. Ihsan, ihsan is the practice of certainty. It's the practice of yaqeen in, in, in the realm of worship and and just your 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 uh, your realm of a'mal, your realm of deeds, and that's why the Prophet ﷺ, when he asked uh, or when he was asked by Jibreel ﷺ, tell me what ihsan is, what excellence is, he said that you worship Allah as if you can see Him, and when you know that you can't see Him, then you know that He sees you. So it gets to that point where it's it's become such an experience that it's as if you can see Him. So you worship Allah as if you can see him. You read about Jannah and Nar, paradise and hellfire, as if you can see them. You read about the Prophet and you study the Prophet and you live the, the, the Sunnah of the Prophet as if you can see him, as if you're one of the companions of the Prophet It becomes a perceived reality that is acted upon to where the only thing that's left now is that the veil, the veil of this dunya comes off and you see what you've already been believing in and acting towards. I always get fascinated, uh, Dr. Omar, with uh, with two people studying the same science, uh, modern science, and one person comes to the conclusion, see, there's no God, there's no unseen. And the other person says, see, there is a God, there is the unseen. And uh, I find that very fascinating. It's probably the doctors, like it's amazing to me. You see someone, like you said, who becomes a doctor and like they're talking about all the intricacies of how we've been created and wired and they walk away with that. There is no way that there isn't a God, right? Even when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that he created you yasra, and then he made the way easy for you. And Ibn Abbas mentions that's two ways, as in the path of Islam, as well as literally the path out of your mother's womb. And I remember a doctor telling me like, you know how many ways a baby could die? And SubhanAllah, there's no way that we were born without a God. Like everything that could go wrong gets, yet somehow SubhanAllah, here we are, right? The people that are scientists, my father is a science professor. 
And I know that his science, his study of science, has made him a better believer. He talks about the intricacies of chemicals and the creation and physics. And subhanAllah, it makes him a greater believer. And then you see that person who's so arrogant. You know all this. You know all this. Where did you come from? Who gave you the intellectual capacity to unravel this? Who brought this into existence? You truly could go to an Ivy League university and, you know, a Bedouin in a desert who's an illiterate is smarter than you <laughs> because the soundness of how their exposure led to a sound conclusion, it just makes so much more sense, ironically, than how your study led you to the most idiotic conclusion that could possibly be, which is that it's all coincidental and random. SubhanAllah. Um, you mentioned, Sheikh, that uh, scientific pursuits, uh, intellectual pursuits and study is welcomed. And um, I have to admit to you that there's one thing that that's always in the back of my head when I come to certain verses in the Quran, where Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says that a day with Allah is like fifty thousand years of what you count here on on this earth, um, and that you know the, in the hereafter day of judgment, you know the the sun is like just an arm's length away. These things. I believe in because I'm a Muslim. I, I like to believe that I'm sincere in my Islam. And so I did the leap of faith, you know, decades ago, alhamdulillah. Uh, but the more I read into uh, topics of science, modern science, I'm actually curious to know how far we need to go or we can go as Muslims for that what, for what Ibrahim was 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 trying to pursue, which is the contentment of the heart in believing the unseen. So, for an example, um, you study two um, two twins, a, a pair of twins. One of them stays on Earth, and the other one travels at the speed of light, theoretically, for eighty years into space. Uh, eighty years later, the the kid on earth is 80 years old and the other kid has only traveled for one day is only one day older and that's real i mean this is what uh, modern science teaches us and this is what i guess most scientists agree when i look at that and i reconcile it with our belief that you know a day with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is like fifty thousand years it's plausible like I, I don't have to imagine anymore. I, I can, I believe that there is, you know, this, this, this can be true. So my question to you is, uh, Doctor, to what degree is this inquiry welcome, and where do I need to draw the line and say, you know what, خلاص, this is the unseen. Allah knows the unseen. I don't, I don't know it, and I need to believe it. So I would say that the proof that Islam welcomes rational inquiry is and scientific inquiry is the fact that Muslims were at the forefront of the creation of or the formation of almost every scientific method that is used today. Uh, and we're at the forefront of medicine and mathematics and things of that sort. And they were also Islamic scholars uh, because they understood that it was actually a call from within their religion to increase their knowledge of these sciences and then to produce out of them that which is of benefit. And all of that is then credited back to the one who gave them the ability to inquire in the first place. It goes back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, both the process as well as the fruits of that process. So we have a history that proves that, a tradition and a history that proves that, that we never saw a contradiction between the two. However, what Islam argues is that knowing the limits of your rational inquiry is actually one of the greatest ways to unlock its genius. Because once you know at what point you stop, you know, your guidelines, your, that, that there is a point now that I cannot get past and I'm going to operate with what I have, with what is accessible to me, and I'm going to relinquish control over what I can't even begin to understand to the one who I know does understand. And that allows you to focus on your part rather than constantly being in a state of crisis and turbulence. And I think that, you know, that's where it is my belief. And, and, and I'll say this, subhanAllah, um, 
that I become more convinced of this every single day, that the one who knows Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and knows Allah's names and attributes, almost every faith crisis that is posed as a primary faith crisis today becomes secondary or non-existent because it is, uh, you know, dissolved, not just resolved, dissolved in your understanding of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and who he is. And that's the greatest gift Allah can give to us. And I give you an example, the way you started your question, um, and I know you were posing it as a hypothetical, so I'm not putting you in, but the companions asked the Prophet a question because realize the companions were the ones that were learning the limits in real time. At what point they can't go further because they were asking the questions that needed to be asked in real time. And Allah was revealing the limits in accordance with their questions. So when the Prophet talked about the day of judgment and he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that some people will be walking on their faces on the day of judgment. Tell me how that's plausible, people walking on their faces. So when they asked the Prophet Sallallahu how will they walk on their faces? The Prophet Sallallahu did not say, well, don't you know about some people that lived 3000 years ago in the mountains of Yemen that had a certain type of nose structure that allowed them to walk on their faces. <laughs> he said, the one who caused people to walk on their feet will cause people to walk on their faces. Allah, yeah, Al-Qadr. You know, th- like, why do you even need to go further into specifics? You know your limits at this point. The one who caused them to walk on their feet will cause them to walk on their faces. It's as simple as that. And so knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows you to know your limits and then allows you to operate in the most brilliant way within your limits while being fully satisfied with that which is outside of your limits. And that is a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I don't bother myself with this stuff. You know, people come up and they ask like very specific questions about Dajjal and where is he going to fall and where is the island or Yajuj and Majuj, where are they hiding? Or, you know, how did Isa live and not die and how is he going to come back? And I'm like, I actually don't care because I know it's true. I don't need to exhaust myself (laughs) with this intellectual exercise that's going to result in me possibly being dumber than when I first started. <laughs> like I'm happy with where I am, knowing that the Dajjal is, is, is a reality. So I need to make sure that I don't fall victim to Dajjala, to delusions and deceptions that would make me more vulnerable to Dajjal. I really don't care where he is right now. I just hope that I don't encounter his fitna and fall prey to it. Uh, yeah, Juj and Majuj, I don't care where they are. If you know they come out as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us through the Prophet, then you know, I, I hope I'm ready, right? Like I want to be ready for these things. So I'm gonna operate with what's within my limits and not exhaust myself with these quote unquote intellectual exercises. And so belief in ghaib, belief in the unseen, with trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, actually gives a really great sense of peace of mind. I don't understand, and you know what? I'm okay not understanding. Uh, you know, another worldly example is that look, when uh, when I, when I get my phone, okay, uh, or uh, this camera or this laptop, I, I'm really not interested in understanding every wire, every process. I just don't care. Does it work? It works. The manufacturer clearly has something going. It works. Alhamdulillah, it's a gift from Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. I trust Allah more than I trust the one that designed my phone and designed my laptop. And I trust, I trust the wiring. I'm okay with it, alhamdulillah. But I think the point would be for if you are interested in pursuing um, the finer details, Islam doesn't stop that. It welcomes you from opening the laptop and, and uncovering and trying to understand how it's built. And find out how to make a better laptop for the benefit of people. Sure. Right? Find out how to use what you have access to and what you can understand. Refine your intellect. Grow your understanding. This is all a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. عَلَّمَ بِالْقَلَمْ عَلَّمَ الْإِنسَانَ مَا لَمْ يَعْلَمْ He taught by the pen and taught man that which he knows not. We are told to exhaust our intellect for that which is beneficial. Just as we're taught to exhaust our bodies for that which is beneficial. Exhaust your heart for that which is beneficial. So by all means, use what you have access to because that's a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Your brain is a gift from Allah. Your brain is a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alhamdulillah for this ability to process things. And it's not a gift that everyone has full access to in terms of mental faculty. Alhamdulillah for what we have. Use it to produce benefit for people instead of using it 
either killing it by, by killing brain cells by doing things that are of no benefit or exhausting your intellect with that which is not accessible to you in the first place. Um, Sheikh, I, I often worry about my faith, but I, I worry even more for my kids. Yeah. And in this world, you know, um, us growing up and reading in the Quran that there are castles in paradise and rivers under the castles. And I mean, that's it's motivating that in the hereafter, you're going to have a better house and whatnot. For my kids, it's like they read that or I we, we describe that and they're like, oh, that's like my the holiday house in uh, in Bali that we went went to. They're, they're starting to see a lot more. They're starting to imagine a lot more. The metaverse is, you know, helping them uh, imagine whole new worlds. Um, they watch, I don't know, Avatar and, and it, it takes their imagination to a whole new world. How do I... Are, are you being facetious by using a whole new world, by the way? Uh, <laughs> um, I think it's uh, it's uh, eight thirty in the morning. It's one coffee in, so I uh, I'm struggling. Oh, it's with clever my, if you uh, are Aladdin, a whole new world, I mean, a whole new world. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, that's pretty funny. So um, just to just to come back to to the kids, like how do I get them to appreciate what Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala describes in the hereafter? You know, when he even describes uh, hellfire and the, 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 the radical graphic nature of hellfire and the punishments. I mean, one, one game, one fortnight, whatever they're playing these days, they're already accustomed to that type of thing. So how do I get them to appreciate the, the unseen in a world that's exposing them to a lot more than the the physical material world that they exist in. So that's a great question and something that I often think about. And first and foremost, it's important for us to be aware of the condition of what's happening, right? Um, when our vision is overly stimulated, then our minds are less stimulated. Our ability to manufacture images from within with our brain, with our own introspection, with our own reading, is taken away from us because someone's doing all of that creation of imagery for us. And that overstimulation is inherently not healthy. And so you'll even read in child psychology the importance of reading books, right? And having your kids read books so that they can still be able to exercise that, right? Still be able to create images from words rather than have those images constantly created for them because that's an inherent function that is within them. And if it is not used properly, then it will go away. And so the only thing they'll crave is more visual stimulation and more visual stimulation while losing the ability to generate imagery from within. And th the idea of reading the Quran with tadabbur and tafakkur is that the imagery is coming from within constantly as you're reading with contemplation, introspection, and reflection. So uh, that's why, again, the emphasis on reading rather than watching all the time. Uh, that's just a pure psychological, you know, uh, bare recommendation that you constantly see across the board, the importance of still having your kids read rather than constantly watch things. Now for us as Muslims, more specifically, connecting them to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, connecting them to their blessings, the source of their blessings. So a constant reminder, where did these blessings come from? They came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who provided this for us? Allah provided this for us. So constantly being able to go back to those blessings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then, thinking about the signs or connecting them to the natural world around them by taking them outside, connecting them to the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and allowing them to appreciate the brilliance of those signs and the greatness of the one who created those signs. So connecting them to the natural world is also very important and then sourcing that back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I'd say, look, I mean, uh, limiting the movies, like, like, look, a parent is guilty of this. I know I'm guilty of it at times. Sometimes to, to just silence your, your, your child, you just hand them a phone, hand them an iPad, hand them a computer, put them on a TV screen, just try to, you know, put something on there just to, to get them quiet so that you can do your work. Uh, but we have to do less of that. So limiting screen time is very important so that they know how to 
generate imagery from within rather than constantly have it generated for them. Sheikh Amar, you have a fascination with angels. Um, I mean, some days and Mashiach would do maybe an episode on on angels. You did not just one series, but two. Uh, and uh, I'd like to hear about what fascinated you with angels. All right. So first of all, um, I'm going to give you the secret ingredient to my Ramadan series, all right? All I'm doing is I'm taking Arkanul Iman, the pillars of faith, and I'm making them practical for people. Allah, Allah loves Muhammad Sallallahu meeting Muhammad Sallallahu Angels, angels in your presence, right? So what are the things Allah loves, the traits that you can have? What are the ways that the Prophet Sallallahu would impress you with his character or that you would notice from him? How can you have those characters? What are the traits that bring angels into your life? Uh, you know, Quran 30 for 30 is an ongoing thing of connection to the Quran. The day of judgment, deeds that light the way. So that's all I'm doing is I'm just taking the pillars of faith and I'm talking about the practical implications in our lives. Now, my fascination with angels in particular, uh, it actually started with a fascination with a very particular angel, which is Jibreel alayhi salam. So I actually became very fascinated with Jibreel alayhi salam. Um, and I spent a good portion of a better part of, of two years of my life just studying Jibreel Islam. Honestly, it became like an, a fascination and almost an obsession of sorts of just studying Jibreel Islam because he's so present and overwhelming in the seerah of the Prophet Sallallahu but there isn't a single book that's been written about him. Uh, so I was like, I just need to study Jibreel Islam and study Jibreel Islam's interaction with all of the prophets, so I went through every mention of Jibreel Islam in Tafsir, every mention of Jibreel Islam in the Ahadith of the Prophet um, And then I started sorting that all out. So it really became a fascination of the best of angels and his relationship with the best of mankind and the best of Allah's creation, Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Then it sort of grew into, well, that's Jibreel Islam, the best of angels relationship with the best of humanity and the best of creation, Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. What's our interaction like as all humanity with that entire realm of angels? And it came from, like, it was a very simple realization. Most Muslims are fascinated by the topic. Actually, I'll ask you, what are the topics that most Muslims want to talk about all the time? Fascinations. Um, I'm going to interview you, man. I'm going to grill you. I know it's early in the morning for you in Australia. What do you think? Fascinations, belief in Allah, Quran. No, man, you're being too nice. Or maybe it's Australian Muslims. But do you guys have fascination with jinn? Jinn stories? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I avoid them as much as possible. (laughs) That's good. You're a smart man, mashallah. So, uh, you know, it it was a basic realization. There are far more angels than there are jinn. Just by the the, the calculations that are given to us, the Prophet Sallallahu mentioning there is not a single part of the heavens a hand span, except that there's an angel standing, bowing, prostrating to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, glorifying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in our lives, just the malaika uh, that are protecting us and that are writing for us, that are with us at all times. There are far more angels than jinn, far more malaika than jinn. And there are specific deeds that invoke the favor and presence of those angels. And what a beloved creation to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they love what Allah loves, they hate what Allah hates, and they love whom Allah loves, and they hate whom Allah hates. So I was like, you know, I really want to explore this and dive deep into this. And subhanAllah, it just so happened uh, that angels, one, ended up being recorded in the COVID era. Now, mind you, I'd already prepared this series. I prepare my Ramadan series a year in advance. So I start working on every Ramadan series, the Ramadan prior for the next year. So I'd already prepared this series way in advance and then COVID hits where people are feeling lonely and isolated. And the whole series is about how you have this extraordinary creation that's constantly around you when you're doing good deeds. We actually recorded the angel series. You know, when COVID first happened where it was like, you know, people were afraid to touch doorknobs and like two people can't be in a room like at the same time. The filming crew was, was recording with the exception of one person was recording virtually editing out. So there's only one person in the room with me and super paranoid because this was the very beginning of COVID and Alhamdulillah, I mean, it became a source of benefit for people and it matched the isolation that people were feeling 
to, to know that they have angels the size of mountains around them when they put forth good deeds. And to know that that's a, a close connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a very practical one. Alhamdulillah was, was something that, uh, that I pray Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues to make beneficial to people because many people still feel isolated and uh, becomes a means of connecting them to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Zakallah khair. Sheikh, one final question, usually a very easy one before we get into the um, rapid fire. My, uh, my nine-year-old niece comes to you, Sheikh, and, um, and she says, look- Is she ever gonna grow up, man? Look, the thing is, I have- um, Can you have at least map this out like year by I have year? Start saying- <laughs> so that's the genius. I have 32 nephews and nieces. So usually one of the nieces is nine years old. So I'm sure I'm telling the truth. All right, um, mashallah. Actually, next year my my daughter will be nine. So inshallah, mashallah, mashallah, yeah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect her. So an easy question from my niece who's nine years old. She comes to you, Sheikh, and says, Look, I believe in Islam, I care for it, I believe in the Quran, I believe in Allah, and I believe in the Prophet. Uh, but all this talk about, you know, angels around me and certainly jinn being around. It's it's weird. I'm not sure I kind of believe in it. What's your message to my nine-year-old niece? So uh, I have a nine-year-old son now, mashallah. So I'll, I'll mashallah. use that in a second. So how would I talk to my son about it uh, instead of your niece, right? Same same thing, right? Um, but you know, it's very interesting because I actually had a conversation with my son recently about this. So I don't know if this would work with your niece, but it certainly was beneficial to my son. I said, Baba, you're reading about, you know, molecules and atoms and things in the air and things that are around you that you can't understand, right? And even in the food and drink that you can't see, right? Yeah, and you trust it because your science teacher says it and that's what the textbook says, right? Yeah, and I said, don't you trust Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more when he tells you about the things that are around you and he created it? He created this air that you breathe. You know, he created this this water that you drink. He created all of this. So don't you trust that? And then sometimes I'll also invoke the, uh, you know, the usage of animals. My son loves animals. Uh, I remember we were at the zoo and the, the zookeeper was talking about how the bald eagle can read the fine print of a newspaper six football fields away, Allahu Akbar. Like imagine our vision in Jannah bi'idnillahi ta'ala. Six football fields away, it could read the, the fine print of a newspaper. And I said, see, just because you see doesn't mean you really see, right? And so that's why the very beginning of the Quran is, Those who believe in the unseen and they establish the prayer and they establish charity. So, uh, once again, connecting it back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his capability rather than our capability. Jazakallah khair. Yeah. Sheikh, let me know if it works be a uh, with your niece, all right? Before I will try and I'll time. let you know. All right. <laughs> Barakallah fiqh. Uh, we're going to switch gears to the rapid fire section. Um, you've had plenty of runway. You've practiced this uh, twice before. So inshallah, it should be very easy. Okay. Um, but because it's so easy, we're going to kind of complicate Complicated questions. All right. We'll start with the easy ones, go to complex. So we'll start with uh, the last book that you were reading. The last book that I was reading. All right, I'm gonna give a shout out here. 40 Hadith on Wealth and Earning by Sheikh Joe Bradford. It's actually the last, the last, you had Sheikh Joe on double take. It's a nice book, mashallah, he wrote, and he gifted to me on his last trip here, alhamdulillah. So actually it was just on Hadith 22. Awesome. What do you prefer, basketball or football? Watching or playing? Both. Both. Uh, first of all, are we talking about American football or are we talking about soccer? I mean, I knew this was going to come up. Let's say all American right. football. American football. So watching American football, uh, playing basketball, but I'm really starting to enjoy flag football. I've been playing flag football a lot recently in the last few years. It's a habit I picked up, so I'm starting to enjoy it. So on a good weather day, I say flag football on good weather day. Working out before iftar or after iftar? Uh, before iftar or after tarawih. So in Ramadan, my favorite time to work out is after tarawih. But if I know that I'm not gonna be able to work out after tarawih, I work out before iftar. After iftar sounds like a terrible idea, especially um, if you eat a lot of desi food 
which I do in Ramadan because I'm usually at a <laughs> fundraising banquet or at the masjid or something like that. And so it's a lot of biryani and halim and uh, burping you're that up while you're working out is not, is not a good idea. <laughs> you're sitting with a 20-year-old Dr. Omar. Your one piece of advice? As of right now, uh, I'd say learn more from my father. <laughs> you know, subhanAllah, the, 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 the wisdom of my father Hafidahullah ta'ala, mashallah, he's 80 years old and just full of wisdom. And I wish I learned more from his wisdom. Um, so learn more from the wisdom of your father. Two, two questions that are off script, so feel free to can them. Uh, you recently did an episode with Lex Friedman. Would you have done anything differently? Um, you know, that episode with Lex Friedman was definitely... Um, a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that, alhamdulillah, we've had many people actually that have come to the masjid. We had someone drive down from Arkansas to embrace Islam, alhamdulillah. So it exposed many people to Islam. Uh, I think that um, there wasn't much I could have done to prepare because it was meant to be a free-flowing conversation. And, you know, alhamdulillah, he didn't really antagonize in any way. I, I would say that I probably would have gone into even more detail on the Palestinian cause and some of its intricacies because it's so rare that the Palestinian case gets presented on a mainstream platform absolutely without interruption so he gave me a lot of leeway and I think that's even why the beginning of the episode he had to put that clip there because he did get a lot of heat for it um, but our voices as Palestinians are so suffocated by um, the Zionist influence that I, I probably should have even gone further and kept on going and talking about it until he cut me off. <laughs> you, went, you went further than many. Jazakallah khair. One oh, final yeah. question. Uh, and I don't even know if I can even ask this, but if you were to have an angel over for dinner, uh, and not, not Angel Jibreel, because I know you're, you're fascinated with him and you studied him first, uh, who would it be? Well, and first what would you all, talk about? First of all, angels don't eat or drink. Uh, yeah, that's okay. why Allah right? Ibrahim <laughs> said, aren't you going to eat? For Ramadan, for a Ramadan. Uh, they don't eat in Ramadan gathering. either. Okay, um, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> but if I could talk to an angel other than Jibreel alayhi salam, it would have to be at that point, Israfil. Israfil alayhi salam is uh, Malakun Azim, an incredible angel. Um, so I would talk to him um, and I would... I think that, that it would be a very humbling conversation. Sheikh Amar, Jazakallah Khair for joining Double Take once again. I really appreciate it and the audience really appreciates it. We look forward to inshallah having you many more times. For those that have been listening and watching Double Take Season 4, we appreciate your, your patience with us. We hope you enjoyed the episodes and inshallah we'll see you in Season 5. Jazakallah Khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.